Well, as we wrap up the Who We Are series, we got three left. And they kind of deal with uh, um, our vision statement as a church. So many of you guys may have seen this in different places, but uh, you'll see the evangelize, equip, empower. And what that means as a church is the whole purpose that we're here, and it's kind of our, our vision or our mission statement, is that we want to evangelize the lost, we want to equip the saints, and we want to empower them to step out into the calling that God has on their life. And as, as a church, that, that's our, our, our purpose, our whole goal is we want to get people saved and then we want to get them in the church so that we can equip them, that we can train them and then we can get them ready and then we want them to step out into ministry. And you'll see that in different areas in the church sometimes. Um, and it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a pastor, right? Or everyone's going to be a, a, a traveling evangelist. But it does mean that everyone comes in, they get trained and they learn. And, we, and we've seen that already. So many of you uh, have stepped out to volunteer and to help into different areas of ministry, and you're, you're being part of the church. You're, you're, you're actually making the church function. You're doing your part. You're, you're that, that rock that fits perfectly in the wall, the, the, that fits perfectly together into the body of Christ. You're doing your part because you're being equipped and you're being empowered to step out into ministry, and that's the whole purpose of what we're doing here. Our goal is to not fill the church with a bunch of converts, but we want people to get saved, to get empowered, and then step out into the calling that God has on their life. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to focus on the evangelized part. And the truth is, is that, that this church and really every church, the purpose is to, uh, to build God's kingdom, to fill the kingdom of God with Christians. We're here to win the lost. And Living Hope Family Church, that's what our purpose is here in Marana, is to reach Marana for the for, for Jesus Christ. And here's the thing is that, that we have Jesus Christ living inside of us. Every single one of us that are saved have Jesus Christ living inside of us. And here's the thing. Jesus loved people. Jesus went out and, into the highways and the byways. He spoke to the sick, to the hurting, to the, to the tax collectors. Because those were the worst in the New Testament days sinners he went and saw them and 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 he, he he drew them in and we have his life inside of us that should be the same thing that we're doing because his life inside of us causes us to love people and you might say well pastor wayne I, i'm not really a loving person i don't really love people well that was maybe before you were saved but when you got born again something happened inside of you what you ought to do is stop fighting it and let god live through you and we're supposed to imitate Christ. And you guys have heard the scriptures. If you've been here a while, but 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. It's one of my, my favorite scriptures at the moment. And uh, uh, it's also one that I think is very pertinent to what's going on in the world today. But it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. If you've had me uh, talk to you about relationships before, you know that that's like my number one rule. Treat the other person as more important than yourself. That'll fix 99.5% of your problems. Amen. Just treat them as more important than yourself. And when you both do it, relationships work. And, and that's true for this world today. What we're seeing going on in the world right now is everybody more concerned about what's going on with them than with somebody else. And then in verse 4, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. That's, a, uh, that's something crazy to, to think about in this world today. 
having this mind among yourselves, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So you have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So you can't say, well, that's not me, Pastor Wayne. No, it's you in Christ Jesus. Who, taught, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The idea here is that Jesus gave up everything to reach others. And we're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to have that same mind inside of us. And as a church, that's the culture that we want to build. That's who we want to be as a church, as being more concerned with others than ourselves and making sure that they hear the gospel. And the truth is, is that everything that we do as a church has this goal in mind. Any of you who have talked to me about why I do the things that we do, you'll, you'll hear my heart on that. Everything that we do, even stuff that it doesn't seem like has anything to do with it, is with the one goal in mind, and that's to reach the lost. That's to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I mean everything. What, everything, yeah, even stuff that you wouldn't think. Why do we play the music a little bit loud? Because I want people to come in and be able to feel comfortable and worship God and to not feel out of place like they're, like they're the one, everyone's staring at them. Why did we paint the walls uh, blue? People are why blue? Because I want it darker in here. That seems like a weird thing. Why do I want it darker in here? Because when it's darker, people feel more comfortable. They don't feel like people are... So I want somebody, when they come in for the first time, they're not really sure about this thing. Everything I'm thinking about is how can we make it more comfortable for them so that they have every opportunity without distraction to receive the gospel. Why do we spend money on, on making stuff with lights and to make stuff look nice? Because I want... To be things to be done in excellence because I don't want that to be us being not doing things in excellence. Second song withstanding today. I don't want that to be a, a, a reason for people to not come and go, why do I want to be a, be a part of this? They're just a bunch of slobs that don't care about anything. Literally everything that we do as a church, that's the stuff that's going through my mind. Everything we do is to in some way, shape, or form make sure that we don't cause an issue for people to, to react. It's the reason why we're wearing masks today. Lord knows that I would much rather not be wearing a mask. And the truth is, I'm not afraid of the virus. But the reason that, that I've asked the leaders and the people that are volunteering to do it is because I don't want anything in the way of people being able to respond to the gospel. And I'm willing to put up with, with all manner of stuff that I don't like to make sure that we have an opportunity to reach others. And I, I never want to to get to a point where that everything we're doing is for the sake of what it's doing. I don't want to just have great programs for the sake of having great programs. You know, I don't want to have great music and the lights for the sake of it looks nice. Has, the purpose of it has to be to reach the lost. And everything that we do in, in the outreach area too is to, to reach people, to reach lost. Um, hopefully, I need to follow up on it and see if we can get started with the food distribution outreach again. Why do we do that? to reach people and show them the love of Christ. There's been times we've, we've helped out in the, in the uh, Miranda Food Bank. Why do we do that? So that we can make an impact in people's lives and hopefully they'll see the love of Christ. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we, did we, have we done the, the Easter outreach every year except for this year because of the virus? Because we want to show people that we're here and that we love them. We want to reach them for the gospel. It's the purpose of everything that we do. 
So let's get started and let's see what the, the Bible has to say about all this stuff. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Notice that that says disciples and not converts. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, one thing about evangelizing is we're all commanded to do this. And this isn't just to pastors. It's not just to evangelists. This is for every person in the body of Christ. We are supposed to go out and make disciples of all nations. And the good news is you're not going out on your own. You're not going out without any force or authority behind you because the Bible says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and he sends us out. That means we go with his authority to do these things. We recognize that Jesus gets his authority from God. And that means that if Jesus gives his authority to us, then that means that there is, there is no other authority, no other thing higher than the authority that we have standing behind us. And Jesus, when we look at his life, he, he used his authority to, to, to teach. He used his authority to heal people. He used his authority to cast out demons. And he used his authority to forgive sins. Now, I recognize that we don't have the authority to forgive sins, but we do have the authority is to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, which is the whole purpose of evangelizing anyways, to tell people that there's something more, that God loves them. They don't have to be stuck where they're at and that their sins are forgiven. And as we see this whole part of who we are, the evangelized, equip, and power, you know, we're not supposed to just make converts, but disciples. We're supposed to teach them to walk alongside them. We're supposed to equip them. And the truth is, is when we don't do that, if we just get somebody to make a, an, a, an emotional response, or even if they, they do make a, a true faith-filled response, if we don't walk alongside them, the enemy is going to be, begin to immediately attack them and try to steal them away. It is our, our purpose, it is our mission, it's, it's our, we've been commanded to, to walk beside them and make disciples of them. And that means we have to spend time with them. That means we have to teach them. We have to encourage them. It's why I'm always encouraging people to join the, the Bible studies, to join the prayer meetings, to go to the, the men's and women's meetings. That's where you get discipled. That's where you walk alongside somebody. Being a disciple is much like being an apprentice. Can you imagine somebody being an apprentice carpenter but never ever doing the job, never ever getting under the person that was supposed to teach him? What would happen to that person? He would never grow. He would never ever become a carpenter because he never learned. And we have to be ready to walk beside people. Now the one thing though that, that I'll often hear in different areas is the the pushback to this. So wait a minute, Pastor Wayne, isn't Jesus speaking to the apostles? If he's speaking to the apostles, how can you say that that authority is for us, that we're supposed to do this? But the truth is, is the Bible makes it clear because we don't see that only the apostles doing this. This is what happens in, in Acts 6.26. I want to show you a couple examples of people that are doing these things that aren't apostles. Acts 6.2-6 says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and 
of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they sent before the apostles, they prayed for them, and they laid hands on them. So this is a group of guys. So if you remember the story, there was the, the, the widows weren't getting fed. Basically, widows were getting missed, and the, they went to the apostles and said, hey, why are you letting this happen? So they said, well, it's not good for us to do these things, and it's not an interesting thing. It's not that that was beneath them. They just had a different purpose, a different role. And that's what happens to people many times is they have a, a purpose, a calling uh, that God, the, for, for God to use them, to minister to them, but because other people don't step up, they get stuck doing the other things. They get stuck. We, we have people even now... Um, although way less in this church now, but I, I imagine uh, right now all across the country there are people in churches working in areas that they shouldn't be because the, somebody else should have stepped up and took that over so that they could work where they were supposed to be working. But anyway, they, they, they decide that they're going to lift these, the, this group of seven men up, and you'll notice that two of them, uh, one was Stephen and one was Philip. And we hear about them later on in the, in the, in the book of Acts. This isn't the one time they're mentioned. Their, their life wasn't relegated to, to working in a cafeteria. But instead, God used them. This is what it says in Acts 6, 7 through 8. Speaking of Stephen, and the words of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen wasn't an apostle. But he was out there getting people saved. He was doing great wonders and signs. This isn't just for the apostles. This is for all of us. Acts 8, 4 through 6. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. Once again, we have somebody else who's not an apostle going out in power and in authority, getting people saved, doing signs and wonders. This isn't just for the apostles, it's for all of us. All of us should be going out and ministering the gospel, sharing with people. All of us should have the confidence in Christ to lay hands on somebody to be healed for the sick. All of us should be able to, to trust God to use us to do these things because his authority and power is behind each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. And the truth is there's a need for this. Why, why do we do this anyways? Because there's a need in the world. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. So how many are righteous? None. No one. Not even one are righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. I'm sure we're seeing a lot of that right now. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, uh, what Paul is doing is actually quoting from a bunch of places in the Old Testament to put this part together. But he's making the point that there's a need for Jesus. Nobody is righteous, not one. They're full of bitterness. They're enemies of God. I mean, this goes on and on. There's no fear of God in their eyes. Their feet are, are swift to shed blood. He brings up all this stuff about people. And for us, we should realize that there's a need for Jesus out there. 
And if we think back, it wasn't that long ago for us when there was a time when, when we yearned for something more. And even though we might not have known what it is, we did still understand there was something missing. There was, there was a hole that was there, even if we didn't know what was going to fill it. And we know that because if you, take a, if you think back about your life, you, you realize that you were trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff. With me, it was, it was alcohol and drugs sometimes and women and, and my job and, and all these things. I was trying to, to fill something that was missing with all this stuff. And you know what? No matter how much I got, no matter how much I did, no matter how much I thought I was successful, there was always that hole. There was always something missing. Because the reality is, is that every single one of us are sinners and every single one of us have a God-shaped hole inside of our heart. And if we think back about our life and we know that we are like that, one, it helps us to remember that when we look out there and people doing crazy stuff that, yeah, we were like that once too. Let's not cast them aside because they're doing stupid stuff because the truth is, is most of us have done way dumber stuff anyway, but God still loves us. God still was open to us. And the reality is, is they're lost. If you've been here a while, you've heard me say it plenty of times. If you expect people that aren't saved to act like Christians, you're a fool. They're not saved. Why would they act like they're saved? It doesn't make any sense. If you want them to act saved, let's get them saved. Amen? Because the ultimate level is this, is that we're all sinners. Paul is giving evidence that no Jew can refute because he's quoting the Old Testament. He's giving evidence and nobody can view. And, and none of these sayings, they can't ever say, Paul, you're just talking nonsense. This isn't in line with the Word of God. He's like, no, it is. Look. The reality is, is that everybody is a sinner. And the good news is, is that God doesn't love us for the things that we do. How many of you guys are thankful for that? What if our love from God was based on the things that we did? My meter would be pretty low, I imagine. But God doesn't love us for the things that we do. God loves us in spite of the things that we do. Yeah. Got a couple of amens out of that. I'm sure there was somebody on the recording. They were just screaming out amen. I just couldn't hear them from here. Here's the thing is that people need peace. People need restoration. They need forgiveness. And as Christians, our hearts should hurt for those people. Our hearts should yearn to reach them, to share with them the love of Christ so that they could have the same thing that we have. That should be, the, the, having the, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, that should make you actually feel that way. There should be something tugging at you to reach these people because the love of Christ inside of you should compel you to minister to them just like Jesus went out to all those who were sick that needed a physician, Amen. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world. It's one of my favorite verses, but it's become one of the most trite verses because you know people hear it everywhere. They don't understand the impact and the power of what this really says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, when we look at the world and we see all the brokenness and the mess that's happening and, and the things are falling apart and, 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 you know, the truth is when I, when I watch the news right now, I try not to watch too much of it because if you, if you watch too much of it, it'll just depress you. 
with the stuff that's going on, and I, I wonder, like, are we going to get out of this? Is there, particularly for the United States, are we too divided, or, or, or can we all just make a decision to consider other people as more important than ourselves and figure this out? But it's not just the United States, it's all across the world when you look at killing and, and human trafficking and, and all of the stuff that murder and war, all the stuff that's going on, if you look around, it's really easy to, to have no hope. Because everything out there is a disappointment. And before I was saved, even the stuff that I was looking for to somehow make up for it, and I put, spoke about it earlier, you know, the, the, the earthly things that I was trying to fulfill myself with, they all just ultimately disappointed. But in the gospel, there's a promise of hope that we so much need. If, if we just saw the world with nothing else, then, then it would be so disappointing because there is nothing else. There is no hope. There is no uh, a hope of restoration. There is no hope of reconciliation. There is no hope of an afterlife, no hope of heaven. This is it. And, and let's be honest, it mostly sucks. But God sent His Son to make up for that, to... to to go ahead and give us hope, to know that, that there is something more. One, he gives us hope because he, there's something that changes inside of you. You're not who you used to be. You're not uh, beholden to the sin and the death that used to drag you down. And, and that kind of hope is amazing. And also there's a hope for, for that there's more to, to life than just this earth. And because God loved us so much, he sent his son to give his life for us. And we know that the John 15 uh, says, John uh, 15, 13 says that no greater love is this than to give his life for a friend. And, and God gave his life for us because he loves us. And here's the thing is that as Christians, this is that, 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 that treasure and earthen vessels that we have that we can share with others. We can be an example of what, what Christians should look like. That means that, that uh, as the Bible says, that you're a city on a hill. That means that as soon as you claim that you're a Christian, people are watching what you're doing. Are we giving them an example of, of what uh, a life that looks like Christ really is? Something that they want to look forward to? And then we can offer that to them. We can share with them the love of God saying, hey, he sent his son to save you, not to condemn you, but actually to save you so that you could have hope that you could have peace, that you could have restoration. And Christians, when we're going out there sharing it, you know, it's so easy, particularly in this climate, to, to feel a, a tent of embarrassment or being ashamed of sharing the gospel. Because so many times when you say it, the world looks down on you so harshly. But, but in 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word. We're not just peddlers of God's word. We're not trying to make a quick buck. We're not trying to sell some sort of snake oil. But as men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I want you to know that when we go out there and share the gospel, you're not offering something that's inferior God sent his son to die for them because he loved them so that they could be saved. This is the greatest thing in the entire world. Nothing on this earth will ever compare to the reality of salvation. Nothing can ever make up for that because you can live what's considered the best life on this earth and have all the stuff. You can have all the things and you'll still lose in the end.
but he called us to be cities on a hill and to share with them something more. Amen? And it's not just good people either. Mark 2, 15 through 17 says, And as he reclaimed at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribe of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Something I think as Christians that we have to remember because it's so easy to naturally pick and choose our targets. Pick and choose who we want to share the gospel. We, we mentally begin to make a, an assessment of whether they're worthy of the gospel. But the truth is, is that Jesus loved all people, not just a subset of people. Matter of fact, he found them most often with, the, with, with sinners and tax collectors. The worst of the worst. You can think of sin as a, as a, as a disease, as a, as a sickness, and forgiveness is the cure for that Je- disease, and Jesus is the physician. That's the, the, the analogy that he's making here. Those who are well have no need of a physician. So those that are living in sin, those, are, those who are struggling, they're not in, uh, there's not something about them that makes them unworthy of God or unworthy of God's love, but they're just sick. And they have... They, 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 they need forgiveness, the cure for that sickness. And that's offered through Jesus Christ. And that's the treasure that we have that we can share with them. Because the reality, there's only three types of people in the entire world that Jesus can't help. And that's those who don't know him or know of him. There's those who do know of him, but they refuse to trust him. And there are those who won't admit that they need him. Now those bottom two, those who know of Jesus but refuse to trust Him and those who won't admit that they know Him, there's not much that we can do about that. We can pray for them, ask that their eyes would be open. We would wait for opportunity to minister to them, to share the gospel. We can model a God-like and Christ-like life in front of them. That's about all we can do because we can't force them to receive the gospel. But that first group, those who don't know of Him, those who haven't heard of Him, That's decidedly our responsibility to make sure that everybody hears and has an opportunity. You know, it's not your job to make sure that they get saved. It's not your job to save them. It's our job to present the truth of the gospel to them and give them an opportunity to respond. And we need to make sure that we're doing that. And sometimes that means making yourself available when they're ready, when the time is ready. People you work with, the first day you show up, maybe that's not the time to to really press in because they're against you. But as they work alongside you and they see you model Christ, maybe you'll get opportunities later. And then maybe you'll share the gospel and they don't respond. So you just pray for them. And then maybe a little while later, you have another opportunity and you'll finally see that come to fruition. We don't give up. We keep presenting. We keep making it available. And we keep making sure that they hear. Amen? And we make sure that we don't, in our own mind, decide who is worthy and who is not worthy. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, you begin to see Jesus' heart. Jesus doesn't see a bunch of awful people. He sees a bunch of lost people. He sees a bunch of people without guidance, without knowledge, without truth. He looks at them and he has compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. 
You know, a sheep without a shepherd is, is really a, a provocative description because it describes people who want to look to be something, who want to look to something, who want to be led. Because if you think about sheep, sheep are looking for a leader. They want someone to guide them around. They're looking for someone to follow. And that's what the, the world is. They're looking for something. They want that answer, and we have that answer for them. The other thing about sheep is they're really kind of unable to take care of themselves. They get themselves into all kinds of trouble. There's a story about a sheep that once got lost. I don't remember where it was, up in the mountains in, a, in another country somewhere. And, and he was lost. the sheep got lost for like two years. And when it came back, it had so much wool on it that it almost couldn't walk. It was so heavy. It was hundreds of pounds of wool. And they, they, they literally can't, they need help. They need to be fed. They need to be guided. That's why they're shepherds, to take care of them, to fend off wild animals, to take them where they need to go, to and fro. And, and, and that's what we're like as people. And you see that today too, right? Have you noticed, uh, we were talking about it in the Bible study, this idea of, of uh, the, uh, the mob mentality or herd mentality. It's a real psychological thing. When people get in a group, they just start following other people. And they'll do stuff that they never would otherwise because they're in a big group of people. But Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. People to be led. And that's who we need to introduce them to is their shepherd. Amen? Then in Luke 4, 16 through 21, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all and the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus making the proclamation that he is the Messiah. The Jewish rabbis attributed the scripture that he's reading, what he's quoting there. He's reading from a scroll the Spirit of the Lord is upon me as he goes on. The, the Jewish rabbis already attributed this to the Messiah. They knew that this was about the Messiah. And this year that he's talking about, this year of the Lord's favor, he's referring to the year of Jubilee. And you can read about it in Leviticus 25. But uh, the basic is every seventh year was a sabbatical year for the nation. And that's when the land was allowed to rest. But every 50th year, which was basically every seven sabbatical years, they had the year of Jubilee. And the main purpose of this special year was to uh, balance the economic system. Slaves were set free and returned to their families. Property that was sold reverted back to the original owners. All debts were canceled. Everything was reset. And that's who Jesus is. If you think about it, he's a reset on your life. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, every failure, every falling, every sin, every piece of baggage that you carry is reset. And he restores you to the position that Adam had in the garden. Adam is such an interesting thing because he's, he's a full-grown man with no history, no baggage, no failure. No, that's an amazing thing. And that's what we're restored to. 
when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have a year of jubilee in our own lives, in our own hearts. We're set free. And that's Jesus. He's referring to his, to his ministry. <coughs> Pardon me. And who he is. He can say, this is me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's going to set you free, not in a political sense or an economic sense, but in a spiritual sense. And this is the good news that we get to proclaim, that if you come to Jesus Christ, everything, every failure, every mess up, every hurt that you've caused somebody else, every sin, every fall is wiped clean. It's wiped away. The Bible says that our sins are as far from God as the east is to the west, which is such a beautiful description to me because if you think of a globe, if you go north, you'll eventually hit the North Pole and you'll be going south. So you can't go north forever because as soon as you round it, you go, but when you go east and west, there is no pole. So if you start going east, you just keep going. If you start going west, you just keep going. They never meet. They just keep going. That's how far your sin is because you're set free. And we get to proclaim this good news. And this is good news. It's not fear-based. Our goal is not to tell everybody that they're horrible, rotten sinners and they're worthless and they're going to hell. Our goal is to, t- and, and don't get me wrong, we're not supposed to downplay sin. Sin is bad. Matter of fact, when we get people say it's part of disciple them, it's help them to walk in the reality of what's been accomplished inside of them, which is that they're set free, free from sin. That means that we're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to walk in holiness. But our job is not to tell people how awful they are, but instead tell them that there's a solution, that there is good news, that they don't have to remain how that they are. And that was Jesus' purpose. He came to save the lost. Amen? In Romans 10, 11 through 13, it says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once again, this is that idea that there is no, no discrimination. There is no distinction. God loves everybody equally. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're, you're black or white, you're rich, you're poor. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter who your friends are. Thank God for that. It doesn't matter who your spouse is. Thank God for that. God still loves you. She's playing on her phone so she didn't hear that jab. That hurts. <laughs> Hallelujah. The reality is, is that the God loves everybody. He's got a place for everybody. There is no distinction. And believing in him guarantees that we won't be disappointed. Do, do you get that? That's, that's the, uh, the, what you have to tell people is that there's a guarantee. They can know that they are saved. They can know that they're right with God. This isn't something that they have to wonder about. The Bible is clear. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are right with God. There's nothing else that you have to do. And he says that there's no distinction. Paul's making the point here. There's no distinction between Greek and, and, and Jew, Gentile and Jew. When it comes to sin, they've all sinned equally and they all need the same Savior. And that's the truth for every single one of us. And the good news is, is we get to tell people that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You can't be disqualified. The only way you can be disqualified is by not calling on the name of the Lord. Remember I said there's only three people Jesus can't help? And one of those groups is those who knew about him but refuses to put their trust in him. That disqualifies you. 
But that's it. If you put your trust in him, he is faithful. Amen? And here's where our responsibility comes in because they have to hear. Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, these are questions you should be answering when you're reading these scriptures. How, how will they call on them in whom they have not believed? Well, if they don't have a chance to believe in somebody, they can't call on them. Then he goes on to say, well, how are they to believe if they've never heard of them? That's a pretty good question. That's why we're to go out into all the nations and make disciples. We're supposed to share the gospel. And that's this part. How are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, he's not uh, just talking about pastors on a Sunday morning preaching from the front of a church. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you. How is your, your, the, your co-worker going to believe if they've never heard? And how will they hear if you don't actually share the gospel with them? If you don't actually preach to them? You know, we get this idea in our, our society that you know, being preachy is a bad thing. I didn't say condemn them. I didn't say take out your Bible and beat them with it. But you can share the love of Christ with them in two ways. One, in how you behave. Show them the love of Christ. And two, when you have the opportunity, share the gospel. This is our responsibility, is to tear down those strongholds, to tear down these ideas that people have of what Christians are, what the media has said Christians are, what modern movies have said Christians are. Instead, we should show them what the Bible says Christians are by living it out and sharing with them. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, I, I, I wonder if the, the first person that shared the gospel with me would have ever imagined that I would, I would actually be a pastor and be teaching others. They, they never knew the impact that they were having just by sharing the gospel with me. But what about some of the people that have really had massive ministries and massive impacts? I mean, can you imagine... The first person that, that, that prayed for Stephen Furtick, who has uh, the Elevation Church, the huge church in North Carolina. Thousands and thousands of people. Are, can you imagine the first person that prayed, prayed for him ever wondered, like, what kind of impact is me sharing the gospel going to have? How many people have gotten saved out of those ministries? You never know the impact that you're going to have. You never know. So share and see what God will do with your faithfulness. And we'll go ahead and in here today in 1 Corinthians 1.18. I'm sorry, we're going to go a little bit further. We're going to end here on Romans 15.20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. The last thing that I want to point out as we're talking about evangelizing the lost and building the church is that our goal is to reach the lost. Our goal is to get people saved our purpose is not to shift saints shift saints shift saints from one church to another our purpose is to not uh, uh, steal christians from other churches it, it's not helpful it's not building the kingdom of god playing you know holy musical chairs isn't really doing anything we want to reach the lost we want to make sure the church grows
And so I'm not saying that, that you don't share with people. That doesn't mean that if, if somebody already goes to another church, you can't talk to God about them. No, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's share on what we have in common. But on the other hand, you know, it's not our mission to get somebody from another church to come to our church because really that's not growing the kingdom of God. It's not benefiting the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, many times it's harming the kingdom of God because we don't know what was going on, what they were doing, where they were at, were they being impacted. So let's make sure that as a church we have a purpose and a mission to reach the unreached. And not only is that something we do corporately, but that's something that each and every one of us has an individual responsibility to do. Share with your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. You got a, a, a friend that, that was once saved, but they don't go to church anymore? Then you invite them to church. Get them to come. Somebody that's never been saved at all, invite them to church. Tell them about the gospel. If you're not comfortable with, with sharing the gospel, then, then get them to church and we'll do it here. And let us know so we can train you and we can teach you so that you can be equipped to go out and do these things. But the truth is, is the gospel is so simple. That's the way uh, God made it. It's because most of us are too sheep-like to handle anything else. It had to be simple. And then some of us are too clever because we think it's too simple. It's simply saying, yes, I put my trust and hope in faith in you. And church, that's who we are. We're people that should be sharing the gospel. We should be sharing with everybody. And it's every single one of our responsibilities. That's who we are as a church. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and looking around, I believe that everybody here I know is, is already saved, but we also have people that could be watching online. So I definitely want to give the opportunity. Here's the deal that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. If you're watching this right now and you're, you're not sure if you're right with God, you're not sure um, eh, where you're going, if you're going to, to spend eternity in heaven, if you're not sure, I want you to know that you can be sure. God loved you so much that even though you couldn't make yourself right with Him, even though you couldn't pay for your own sins, you couldn't make up for your own failures, God loved you so much that He sent His Son to give his life in place of yours. And he died so that you could have forgiveness of sins and that you could have a new life placed inside of you, that you could be confident that you are right with God. And all you have to do is put your trust in him. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, then we will be saved. So take a moment right now and to make a decision to trust God, to believe that Jesus lived, that he died for your sins and he rose again from the dead for the newness of your life. Take a moment to put your trust in what he did for your salvation and declare that he is your Lord and your Savior. And the second bit of that is confessing with your mouth. Go ahead and reach out to us. Send an email, information at morana.church. Send me an email. Let me know if you made that decision today so that I can follow up with you because you want to be a disciple, not just a convert. You want to walk alongside and learn who you are. So if that was you this morning, go ahead and send us an email. Put a comment, whatever you need to do so that we can walk with you. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet, church. Mm. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. 
You are so worthy, O God. You are so faithful. And your love for us is never-ending. Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would be so overwhelmed by your love that we would not be able to contain it. That we would not be able to do anything but respond by sharing it with others. None of us, if we won the lottery, would, would hide, but we would share it. We'd shout it from the rooftops. We'd tell our friends and our family. But what we have is something that is so much more. Father, I pray that we would have that same attitude to not be able to contain it with inside of us, but to share it at every opportunity. Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.